You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Hi, everyone. This is the Ask Annie podcast, Horse Girl reviews on products you use. This segment is brought to you by Berringer Ingelheim, makers of the Acervo Equihaler. Dr. Steve Grubbs is the equine technical manager at Berringer Ingelheim. Originally from Tennessee, Dr. Grubbs grew up breeding and showing quarter horses on his family's farm, worked with the Anheuser-Busch Clydesdales, and then attended Ross University and the University of Tennessee. He went on to work for 11 years in private practice before returning to graduate school and attaining a PhD in comparative and experimental medicine, with an emphasis on virology and immunology. Dr. Grubbs now lives in Missouri with his wife and continues his research with BI in areas such as PPID and equine respiratory disease. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Grubbs. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. Look forward to it. So BI is heavily dedicated to continuing research in many areas of equine health, but you are currently involved in studying severe equine asthma. Can you fill us in on what equine asthma is and what causes it? Yeah, and I think probably the biggest brief, and we'll probably get into some little detail a little bit later on, so I won't get started in the detail. Let's start big picture. And it is a respiratory, it's a non-infectious respiratory uh, issue in horses, okay? And it's triggered, and really, we say non-infectious, meaning there's no viral causes, there's no bacterial causes. And so we say, okay, well, why do they do that? And and really, the biggest reason why they, uh, it's, they're there's triggers and what are these triggers and the number one trigger is in the environment is dust okay in dust whether that's outside whether that's in a paddock whether that's stall but primarily when we're trying to manage these horses we look at dust in the hay and dust in the bedding and when that dust and it does does it affect every horse no okay but the horses that are a little more prone and a little more sensitive to this type of dust we get a uh an increased inflammatory reaction in the lungs of these horses, which in turn, secondarily, they they produce more mucus in there. So they'll cough some because of that mucus. They're trying to get that mucus out, right? And then second, they'll get, because as you go down in the horse's lungs, you have things called bronchitis, just like in people, right? You've heard of bronchitis and that sort of thing in people. So then, but your bronchi is normally open to a, to a normal size, whatever it is, you know, just think of a hose pipe out in the yard or a water hose, you know, out in the yard, think of that. And it's just kind of there, air moving really good. Mucus gets in the way. So now you get a little bit of uh, decreased airflow because of the mucus, right? It's not tons of mucus, but a little in there and it can be obstructive. So now secondary to the mucus, we'll get what's called a bronchoconstriction. Now those bronchi may get smaller. So now we have less airway or less air getting into the airway. And so it impedes the horse's uh, respiratory system. So they're not able to breathe as well, uh, exercise. And so we see things like that. Yeah, and you really um, started to talk about it, but it is quite a problem for horses. Like what, what, why is it such a big problem? Okay. And really one of the things when we, when, when I just kind of mentioned it, when we look at, um, you know, where we place horses, right? It's, 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 it's how we manage horses. And because the number one trigger is dust. 
And like I said, dust in the hay in the bedding and dust in, like I said, in their in their feed, whatever that is. And some of these horses, now a lot of horses could care less, right? You could put them on a dirt road, cars going by, no problems. But there are certain horses, it only takes a little bit exposure to hay, just dust and hay that can set them off, okay? And so with that, you know, what, that's one of the reasons is the environment that we that sometimes we can put these horses in. Now, I'm really you can kind of see where I've 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 kind of painted a picture of a horse in a stall in a barn that sort of thing where a lot of horses are kept. But there's a lot of horses kept out in the pasture, and so uh, there is a portion or a part of severe equine asthma out in the pasture. We call it summer pasture associated. Uh, asthma. Okay. And so with that, uh, then those horses will be affected while they're on pasture. There's no dust. It's what they're exposed to. And they'll, and when I think of summer pasture associated asthma, then I tend to think of Gulf coast. Okay. We think of Gulf coast states. Now, can it occur in a lot of other states? Sure. Sure it can, but I think we kind of come down. If I want to pick one state, and I'm not picking on Louisiana, I like, love Louisiana, but you'll say, uh, somebody says, pick a state, Louisiana. But, you know, it's part of the environment. But you will see it in in uh, kind of those Gulf Coast southern type states, and uh, you'll see it in other places too, but that's, that's where a lot of that occurs. And so we manage those horses a little bit different in their environment. How can horse owners <laughs> recognize if their horse has equine asthma? Okay. And so we start getting into a couple and, and maybe we'll, we'll, I'll answer your question, your direct question first, and then we'll probably move on to, because when we talk about equine asthma syndrome, there's a mild moderate, and that has a certain set of clinical signs. And then we have a severe asthma, which has another set of clinical signs. Okay. And so I think when I'm just talking about, we were just talking about asthma, asthma. let's lump those together for a minute. And uh, we've got a non-infectious respiratory disease. And let's just say a horse owner, you know, they're out uh, riding their horses. Depending, some may be, the only thing you may see is a decrease in performance, right? And uh, meaning, uh, whether it's a ranch horse, whether it's a trail horse, whether it's somebody showing the horses in training, wherever it is, you may notice something's just off. And then another thing, you may notice these horses cough, okay? They may cough. Now, somebody said, you know, a lot of people say, well, my horse coughs once. Yeah, okay. But now, when my horse is warm enough, it's coughing a lot. Well, I have to ask, why is that horse coughing a lot while we're warming it up? Because if we're taking it out of barn situation, now, does it have a lot of that mucus? Okay. Does it have, does it trying to cough up that mucus and get a clear airway? Uh, and so, uh, and then more toward the severe type, uh, does my horse on occasion during this, the, you know, there, I'm going to say for severe asthma, you know, during the, uh, it's episodic, it's not continuously all the time, severe itself. So severe, uh, does my horse look good at times? And then all of a sudden, things start to bloom. Things, uh, something has changed in my environment. Now my horse is maybe not coughing, coughing a little bit, but I notice my horse at rest breathing hard. 
okay? Or it's breathing harder than normal, maybe a little more depth, okay? And that's early on. Once they see it, they'll know it. And then, uh, because we'll kind of get into that too, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, I think that's the things that I would look for because, you know, if you take a horse's, you know, if you look at a horse and you think it might have a little bit, if it's coughing some, and you might think it has a little bit of a, uh, something respiratory, just, you know, as a horse owner, and if they're used to taking the horse's temperature, if they do that, and it's normal, because most of these, most, if not all of these horses, their temperature will be normal, right? And so, because it's non-infectious related. Wow, yeah. So what is the difference between mild moderate asthma and severe equine asthma? Okay. Yeah. I thought we might get there, but I just kind of lumped everything together to begin with. Now we can kind of sort it out. So mild moderate, okay, mild moderate asthma is probably a lot more, I'm going to use the term prevalent, okay? We look at prevalence of the disease uh, today. You go in and um, a lot of studies and a lot of work has been shown. It can affect anywhere, you know, up to, you know, 60 to 80% of horses in a barn. Okay. And so that's a lot, mild, moderate. Now, the thing about mild, moderate, uh, what we said, at, at rest, their respiratory efforts normal. They're not doing too much. They're just kind of hanging out, doing what they normally do. And the thing about this mild, moderate, Horses of all ages can be affected. A lot of people will think, okay, it's more of the younger type horse. And I can probably lean toward that, okay? But it can affect older horses too. So when I think of mild, moderate, it's it because it's the environment. And the clinical signs we see are usually pretty subtle, okay? And then, you know, I, I mentioned poor performance. I, mean, I think that's one, especially in some of these performance horses, these horses that are moving around, these horses that are traveling, these horses that are showing, because what are they continually doing? Going from barn to barn to barn, from city to city, from wherever. And, and so uh, maybe this kind of shavings at this time, most people take their own with them, but if they don't, they may get exposed to certain things. And then horses being stalls being cleaned out every, you know, all over the place, all the times, things they can't control. Right. And so, uh, and so a lot of times it'll be, you know, that little hacking cough too. And so diagnostic, when we looked at those horses, we could tell the inflammatory, uh, uh, airway disease that's really going on within these horses. And then we kind of have to manage that horse that way. Now we look at severe, severe equine asthma, uh, whether that's uh, barn associated, kind of what I've talked about, you know, the dust associated with a barn or summer pasture associated, uh, those horses typically will have an increased respiratory effort at rest when they're just standing there. That's not huge, but you can see it. It's kind of back in their flank and they're trying to sometimes push that air out because they've got a little bit more mucus than they should. They may have a little bit more bronchoconstriction than they should. And I, I, let me say one thing about the mild and moderate. Some of those horses, uh, you know, whether they're very mild or up in the moderate stage, they can look a little bit different as far as where their signs are very subtle or sort of subtle, you know, not very scientific, sort of subtle, but there's a, there's a range there. But the severes, they'll always have something, right? They'll have something that uh, to move that, uh, to show that, that they're really trying to breathe a little harder. And these horses typically uh, affects horses greater than seven years of age. Severe asthma does, okay? Now, those horses frequently cough, right? And so 
uh, they'll notice regardless there's going to be some cough. Now, they're not sitting there coughing their head off, but some may. But a lot will just cough some, then you won't notice it for a little bit because they have a lot more mucus. They have a lot more bronchoconstriction. We call that airway obstruction because it is. I mean, it's just a kind of a term for airway obstruction. And then, uh, and a lot of those horses are still utilized, right? Ranch horses, trail horses, show horses, right? They're performance horses. They're still utilized to some, you know, to a lot of degrees, and they can be. Uh, but it's when they go through one of these episodes when they've been exposed to a trigger and things start getting kind of fired up, that's what I'm gonna call it, in their lungs, then uh, they become a little bit exercise intolerant. Maybe they just can't go as much as they should have. And that might be a very early sign that we've got something there, okay? And then uh, because we just really have a, a more marked lower airway inflammation going on in those horses. Uh, and so, uh, gosh, that's probably, you know, really the bigger differences. And I guess I would say one more thing. Uh, because we get just, we get asked this question quite a bit sometimes, quite a bit sometimes. Uh, mild, moderate. Uh, do horses that have mild, moderate asthma, do they progress to severe as they get older? And I think that's a fair question. We don't have a good answer for that. Okay, and I think uh, I, 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 I'm really certain about saying this one. Okay, is that not all horses that have the mild, moderate, the younger horses in the stall where they're exposed to dust? No, they all do not go to severe equine asthma. Could some of them? Maybe. That's a very, very long term study. And I think uh, that would have to, that still has, hasn't been completely answered. Okay. But if, if I was a horse owner and I, and somebody, uh, um, Diagnose my horse with mild, moderate asthma, and then I would say, uh, and, and I'd read about asthma, and I think about severe. I wouldn't get, I wouldn't lose sleep over not thinking my horse is going to progress to severe. I would not, okay, because uh, there's, because a lot of times, and we can talk about, you know, you talk about the course of, of, of disease. You know, usually uh, the mild, moderate, you know, these signs may last for a month. You know, because a lot of times we can get the environment controlled at that time or manage those horses. And then what we talked about severe, those signs uh, are episodic and they tend to get worse every time unless we manage it. And so we have to manage these horses uh, ahead of time, you know, and it's like anything else. We sit and talk about, uh, you know, treatment, 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 treatment. The very first thing that I want I would want uh, that I always had horse owners to do, which is the hardest thing in the world to do, is manage the environment. Okay, we have to manage the environment because if we don't, to some degree, right? Because depending on the environment, what you want to do or not do, right? And so, uh, I mean, sometimes it can be real simple. If you've got a horse that's in the barn, it's it's barn associated, and you've got a little pasture, and it's no problem to turn the horse out. Turn the horse out. Most of those horses get better pretty quick. If it's a horse out on the pasture and you can bring it in, then try and get a low dust environment in the barn as much as possible. Bring that horse inside. Sometimes it's as simple as that. Other times we have to do uh, other management and it depends on the place. You know, we can throw a bunch of, you know, options out there. But before we get to that, one thing I would say about the mild moderate asthma is when we look at, you know, is there a genetic predisposition 
predisposition to that. That's not really been completely determined, but when we look at severe equine asthma, yeah, there is some genetics with that, depending on whether one of the parents have had it, the percent chance to fall well, or whether both have had it, you know, it increases a little bit more. So that, that, that can be, because that kind of comes back to the immune system the local immune system in the lung, right? And so that's going to be uh, somewhat hereditary for that. But, you know, um, like I said, a lot of times it doesn't show up in these horses as severe until they're seven. And most of the time, a lot of these mild moderates are, is the environment. So regardless of either one, we want to kind of jump to the environment a little bit to help manage that. Because I'll I'll say this, regardless of this is my soapbox. I'm sorry. But regardless of whatever uh, pharmaceutical treatment that we put with these horses, if we don't really make some effort at environmental changes, we're destined, I'm, I won't say we'll fail, but I would say we won't get the optimum response where we want. Okay. And because I would never say we would fail because I think th there's a, there's a lot of ways to, to do that. And it doesn't, people don't have to tear down a barn and completely do everything. There's little things that can make a huge difference. And so I think start out small with environment changes and move forward. Sorry. <laughs> a lot of, a lot, a lot of, a lot of stuff, you know, that was, that was awesome. And you you did to, you did start on the my next question, which was treatment options, and I I definitely think you drove home the point that maintaining or excuse me getting that environment right is is the number yeah. one factor. But are there are there any other things that um, horse owners can do to treat it? Yeah, you know I think first let's kind of just jump on environment because I'm gonna if I with a horse owner I'm gonna say okay let's you know because you're gonna look at their particular situation right we're going to look at that and say okay this is what we've got these are our options because what what you may tell what one veterinarian may tell one farm or one barn may go to the next barn it's not applicable i've got to do something else because the environment's different so i would i would caution any horse owner if says well my vet told me this well same vet told me that you know yeah it could be different because where environments are different so expect that okay expect that and so when i would look at that um uh, you know, like we said, if it's barn associated, whether it's mild, moderate or severe, and you can turn the horse out, turn it out, you know, if that's a possibility. If it's not, okay, then, uh, you know, a lot of times horses will be in runs or they'll come out of stalls together or however, and, you know, round bales are tend to be a no-no uh, because round bales, if you've ever seen, um, a lot of horses eat round bales, and it doesn't always happen this way. But the best hay in a round bale is right in the center, right? It's right in the center. And so they're going to eat that center out. I mean, I've seen horses, you can't see their ears because their head's inside that round bale, right? So what are they breathing? Dust, uh, mold, anything that's in there, right? They're breathing all that in. So that's why we say no. Are there covers you can put over those to slow it down and stop that from happening? Sure. Because there are times, and see, that's where I would come up and say, not every, not every uh, suggestion or management change is going to fit every person. Because someone may say, 
I can't store square bales. I have to use this. Okay, let's work with it, right? There, there's ways to do that. So you can get covers to put over them to keep those horses from doing that. They eat it slower, you know. It still will have some mold and things like that, but sometimes we have to deal with what we have, and that's fine. And then, uh, you know, if they're feeding in uh, hay nets, you know, hay net or hay racks or something up above the horse's head, just use your screwdriver, take those hay nets, take those hay racks down, take your hay nets down, feed the horse on the ground. You know, used to be a no-no, don't feed a horse on the ground because parasites or whatever else. Don't worry about that because you're in the stall. But, uh, but the hay nets or the hay racks with the hay falling down, you know, on their face where they're breathing, right, they'll be four times higher exposure to all these particulates out of in that situation compared to being on the ground. So that's a simple thing we can do. And if they don't take the hay rack down, whatever, just throw it on the ground, put it on the ground, okay? And uh, and then if it's so severe and you have to get rid of hay, then you'd have to go to a complete pelleted diet. But most of the time these horses can be managed. We can soak the hay, you know, we can wet the hay, we can wet it down, right? They're steamed hay. Right. That people it starts getting expensive when you're talking about steam, unless you've got a barn and you've got a whole bunch of people have bought a steamer and you're working that together. Right. And so then you can kind of work together and it's not hard to do. It's pretty easy. You can, you know, I can YouTube it and go out and see different kinds of steamers. They're they're pretty simple to use. Uh, and then uh, but like I said, the. Complete cubed or pelleted diet is an option if they need to. Like we said, soaking the hay uh, and ground feeding hay. One thing uh, that's used in, in like Europe, uh, they'll feed uh, silage, you know, grass silage to horses. We don't really do that that much here, you know, because it's wet and it's moist. And there's things you have to watch about silage in horses, you know. We have to probably should think about somehow vaccinating those horses with botulism but i don't we don't really get to that point here it's not that common right and uh uh so uh, it's just little things i mean it's you know think dust where can i decrease it and probably some of the other things if you've got a bigger barn and uh leaf blowers well that's much you know everybody loves to use leaf blowers i do you know but while the horse is in the barn that's not a good thing Right, because what are you doing? You're just blowing stuff everywhere. It's like a tornado going through there. And so turn the horses out. You know, if you need to sprinkle it down or just blow it out, get, give it time to settle down, then bring your horses back in. You know, if you store hay in the barn, it's best not to store it above the horses because over time it settles and it and it comes down. And so uh, and we come back to bedding. There's different types of bedding that people can use. I mean, some people use mats, horses. I don't know. Kind of depends on if they go that route. You know, different kind of uh, you can buy different beddings. That's that's kind of less dust. Shavings is probably maybe better. Straw is kind of the worst, you know. Uh, for certain for these types of horses now if your horse is doing great on whatever you're doing hey don't change anything but these are horses that are having problems that we try and manage that environment first or at the same time that we start to use uh, different products and things like that yeah it makes a lot of sense 
So BI offers a, a servo equihaler for severe asthma cases. What are some key functions of the Acervo Equihaler that make it so practical and helpful for these very severe cases? Yeah, and you said, just kind of start from the beginning on the Acervo Equihaler. You know, we talk about that. You look at, you know, I look at the, when I think about a Acervo Equihaler, people can go out and you can Google it and find out what it looks like. And uh, it's the product that's in it to me. Okay, that's that's number one, and it's called seclesinide inhalation spray. What it is, uh, I'm gonna call it what it is, and then we'll give it all the other terms that people hear commonly. Uh, glucocorticoid. It's a uh, it's a potent anti-inflammatory. Okay, what does all that mean? People have heard of corticosteroid. People have heard of steroids. We are not talking about anabolic type. That not that kind of steroid thing. We're talking about anti-inflammatory, like in people prednisone. You know, people say pred, dexamethasone. I know people have heard that. Same kind of class of drugs. Now, to me, when I when I think about a servo equihaler, the servo. We talked about kind of the name a, a little bit earlier. But actually, before the podcast, we were talking about it. But we look at a servo. That's the product. That's the clesonide. Okay, that's the actual drug. The equihaler is the actual. Uh, it's enclosed. It's an inhaled product. It's all in one. It's it's easy to use. And probably the biggest thing about it is that it is uh, locally administered. It's administered nasally, intranasal. Okay, the horse breathes it in, he goes straight to the lung, that's where the issue is. Now, one thing I'll back up and say about seclesonide, it was approved, boy, somebody might catch me on the year, is either 2008 or 2010, seclesonide was approved in people, and why did they improve it in people, was because of the safety of this product compared to other uh, corticosteroids, and because every, that I know of, because if you take, you know, one of these puffers or whatever a person takes, utilizes, you know, if they have different corticosteroids in them, glucocorticoids, kind of the same thing. Uh, as they puff that, it's active right then, okay? So, meaning they're absorbing that as soon as it hits the back of their throat, the pharynx, okay? So, they're absorbing that, and so now they've got systemic absorption, and it's absorbed all over the body. Lung too but everywhere else. And so seclesonide is not absorbed like that or minimal. And seclesonide itself is very, uh, has very little activity because once it's inhaled, seclesonide is changed by the body to a drug, to a product called desseclesonide. And the potency ramps up tremendously, okay, but in the lung, not in the pharynx. And so with people, it was the same way because with all these others that had active drug being absorbed, they were getting oral ulcers, oral infections, uh, fungal infections in their mouth. If it was young kids, you had to worry about bone growth because you were getting systemic absorption. So they brought seclesonide out because it's activated in the lung. And so they decreased, minimized all these oral problems, and they could use it in younger kids, right? So same thing in horses. It's activated. It's very inactive when they inhale it, but it's activated in the lung. And, and so with that, you get 
very little systemic exposure. I won't say none because that's not that's that wouldn't be true because there's uh, it's possible, but it's very it's minimal through there. So I think the efficacy and the safety go along with that. So uh, you know it's uh, the way the equihaler is uh, formatted. It's it's one hand that has everything in it. And there's some instructions how to do it. It's hard to talk about without seeing it in front of you, right? But it's a it's an internasal goes in the left nostril, and it just puffs, and and it's a dry mist. It doesn't shoot out like if someone's using one of the inhalers for people or it hits you in the back of the throat, and it feel like you know it's tough when that when that happens. And so, but horses, it's a very soft mist. It's very slow moving, and as the horse breathes, it breathes the soft mist in. And it deposits it deeper into the lung because the particle size needs to be extremely small to get to the lung. And we call that less than five microns. Okay. And, and, and so that's what we're looking at with this product because that's the same size as a lot of these dusts that get to the lung. It's less than five microns. It's not these big pieces of stuff that you see when you walk through a barn and you see sun going through and all the dust in it. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen pictures. That's probably not the stuff that's getting deep in the lung. That's going to get higher up in the pharynx, but not deep. It's the stuff you can't see. And that's the way this is, that mist. And so it gets deep in the lung because it's such a small product and it's activated there. And so uh, really, you know, we've really... Uh, like the safety of this product and, uh, you know, the efficacy. Oh, yeah, and really it's like the administration of the product and then the actual composition of the mist that seemed to make it so successful. Right, right. And it's, and basically what you're, what we are treating is the lung, right? Mm -hmm. Because with others, even though we're giving it in the lung, they are being systemically absorbed. So they have systemic effects on other parts of the body. For example, uh, a lot of people may not know this, but at times, you know, there's some studies out there that's actually done in Canada where this has nothing to do with the servo, but it's it's talking about steroids and systemic, uh, uh, you know, horses will get uh, maybe some and maybe a joint flare or just a little bit of wear and tear. So they'll, you know, inject something into like an, a knee or something, a carpus in the front, you know, and which is completely fine. And they'll uh, do that, but then their lungs will get better. They'll start feeling better. And only, but they're only uh, injecting into the joint. Well, when they inject into the joint, it's systemically absorbed enough to kind of help the lungs too. Well, when we give seclesonide, it's not going to help any other part of the body right? Because it's staying in the lung. That's where we want it to be. And so we're, that, that's, and uh, we, we kind of like that part of it. So, yeah. Yeah. What makes a, what makes a horse a good candidate for a servo equihaler? Okay. You know, I, I think when we look at that, um, but I think when we've got equine asthma and you've got a horse with severe equine asthma, uh, and one, I'll always say this, environment first or environment at the same time. But then a horse, if a horse is, if I can't catch the horse very well every day, probably not a good candidate. And if a horse is extremely head shy and I can't do anything with it, probably not a good candidate. But other than that, I can't really think of much, you know, that, that would say no. You know, I, I think horses, uh, horses that are good candidates, uh, you know, actually, you know, with the disease, because even at first, regardless if a horse, because, 
you know, it'll take just a second and there's videos out there on YouTube. We've just created another one. We've got a, one of our territory managers down in Florida. She worked with one of her folks and, uh, had a, had a crew put together to, to create a video. And, uh, she did a really good job to kind of show what's called, uh, we have three steps called Pierce Prime Puff. And I won't say any more about it because we don't have one of the, the little uh, the servo equihalers to actually show. You know, we can't show it on a podcast. But if you look at the picture, if you go out, somebody goes out and Googles it, they can look at it and see that. And there's only three steps. And, you know, horses, you know, at first, you know, because it goes right in the edge of the nose, right? And at first, if a horse is like, you know, what are you doing? So we kind of had to get a horse used to it. But most horses have either, you know, had a stomach tube or something, you know, and most horses tolerate that. It's it's not that big a deal. And uh, and then once we start to treat them, it's kind of interesting how horses figure things out that after they've been treated, they think, you know, I can breathe better. You know, they do, you know, they'll, they'll stand, they'll come to you. It's like, I can breathe better now than this. And so it, it improves every, you know, every time. So, uh, uh, so with that, yeah. Wow. So if a listener thinks that their horse might have equine asthma, what sort of questions should they ask their veterinarian? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things, um, to just kind of, if they think asthma now, one thing we didn't touch on, uh, equine asthma syndrome is a little bit of a new term, okay? I'm going to say new. It's, it's maybe to the public. We've called uh, mild, moderate asthma inflammatory airway disease for years. It's still called inflammatory airway disease, okay? And so uh, another, when we talk about severe equine asthma, we have called heaves. Okay, everybody kind of understands now what we're talking about, heaves. Uh, it's called other names. So there's a thousand different names, but I think to kind of get used to those because there are differences in horses, how they respond, just like people with asthma. Uh, certain products work for most people, but if there's probably some certain classifications we're trying to, that folks are trying to sort out now in horses, you know, that may not respond as well to, you know, uh, to, typical treatments. So anyway, back to that. So yeah. And I think the first thing is just kind of look at their horse and, and get a little bit of, um, think of the parameter, you know, think of what, you know, is there something off with their horse and, you know, they can look at the horse and say, you know, is he breathing hard standing here? No, probably not. Uh, or if he is, then, you know, and that's before you ride him or something like that. If they see those things and they can think, and then they can you know, speak to their veterinarian and, you know, about what they're seeing or if it's, you know, maybe poor performance and then, gosh, that can be divided into so many things. But, you know, what does that actually mean, poor performance? And I think to to try and gather a little information, you know, is the horse just not cooling down fast enough? Is it, you know, after riding, is it taking a lot more time for that horse to cool down to, uh, uh, you know, that sort of thing? And, you uh, I think probably the the biggest thing, the questions would be then have the veterinarian take a look, right? Because some of these horses can be diagnosed without a lot of diagnostics, uh, especially the the severe asthma horses. Uh, sometimes the inflammatory airway disease. Occasionally, um, um, yeah, uh, mild moderate asthma. Here I go. Uh, 
we sometimes we need to do a little bit of diagnostics, or sometimes then uh, as veterinarians we'll we'll kind of treat and look at the response because a lot of times, you know, we can listen to their lungs, we can listen to their trachea, and there's certain specific sounds we can hear, and to help us with the diagnosis, you know, with that. And then we start managing, and then as a veterinarian, I'm going to look around, and I'm going to ask the, the horse owner to let's let's walk, you know, let's walk and talk, and let's look at at your environment here. What what can we do with this horse? This horse is in the middle of the barn. Should we move it out toward the end? Should we, you know, we clean the stalls? Let's just talk about a few little things that we can tweak. You know, we don't have to change too much, you know. And then let's just say they, uh, if the veterinarian puts their horse on, uh, say, a servo equihaler, right? They, they, they decide that, that they prescribe that. You know, one thing I always, as a veterinarian, when I'm talking to horse owners, I want to tell them kind of what I think to expect how this horse should improve because that'll be different for everyone because every horse could be a little less severe, a little more severe. So sometimes it takes a little longer, a little less. But then I'm also going to say, okay, regardless of what we're doing, just like if we're vaccinating a horse, could there be a side effect? Sure. You know, and so I think that's a that's something I always told horse owners. But if you see this, call me. You know, let's talk about it. May not be anything, but 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 call me. So when we look at a servo equihaler, you know, one thing, um, just because studies haven't been done, you know, it, we hadn't evaluated it in uh, pregnant, you know, or lactating mares. And when we did the efficacy studies in a large number of horses, and this was the efficacy studies were actually done in the U.S. and in Europe. So this is a globally approved product. It's not probably approved in every country in the world, but in the bigger countries, it is. Okay. And so the most common, let's just say, an adverse reaction that was reported to us, the horse may, uh, and, and you, you may laugh at me and I say this, but coughing, uh, some nasal discharge, the horses may have sneezed, and they might have had a little bit of nasal irritation. That was the, you know, the things that were really reported. So I think that's something I would always tell horse owners because more if I hear coughing, Okay, is that due to the a servo or is that because we're not controlling the disease just yet? Same thing with the nasal discharge, because you can see some with that mucus, you know, occasionally uh, with the disease. But and then sneezing is it's, the horse just not like the thing in his nose, you know, that sort of thing. So uh, I always tell people, you know, here's what to look for. If you got this, call me. Let's talk about it. And sometimes it's not anything I have to, to deal with. But uh, and then probably always tell the you know, I always tell anybody, you know, this product is not for use in humans and keep it away from your children. They don't need to be playing with it. Uh, but it is, a per, you know, another product with a different amount of product in it is approved for humans, but don't use it. Okay. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, so jumping back into your personal experience, uh, we briefly noted in the introduction of the episode that you went to vet school and then established a private practice, and then decided to go back and get your PhD. Why did you decide to alter your career course? <laughs> yeah, I question that a lot. Uh, you're not the only one that questioned that. No, uh, actually, I, I went back and went back to, and, and did a, uh, it's not in there, I, I did a, a medicine residency, internal medicine. So uh, I got boarded in internal medicine, large animal. And during that time, and all right, to answer your question, why I went back, I was in practice, and of course, um, 
there are things, there are questions come up that you can't answer in practice. You know, you've been taught everything under the sun. You go to continuing education, you look and you, you sit back and scratch your head a little bit. So I, maybe I just wasn't satisfied. I don't know what. Uh, yeah, that was it. I want to know a little bit more. I want to understand a little bit more. And is there something else we can do? And it was just a starting point. So the residency was a starting point. And to be honest, when I got to the residency, I thought, okay, I'm going back to practice. But during the residency, I got involved in clinical studies, clinical trials, clinical research. So I said, mm, nope, I'm not going back. I'm going in. And then uh, I was fortunate enough to get in to, to do a PhD. And I was a little older. I'd been out in practice, did a residency. Now I'm in a PhD program. You know, and you take biochem with folks that are 20 and they've got a master's in biochem. That's a little scary. And uh, so that'd wake you up a little bit, but it's fun. We had a good time, enjoyed it. And uh, so I think that was the reason um, I wanted to know more, want to be able to probably try and do more. Uh, uh, and I think the PhD itself taught me more about research. It taught me more about what we call scientific method. Okay. Kind of how to do something and really evaluate something and look at it and not just, uh, and I didn't want to answer big questions. I didn't want to understand how how we get to the moon or anything. I, I wanted to understand little things practical that we could do and do research. And then we we can make a difference to some degree with some way with veterinarians and horse owners the next week, that sort of thing, you know? And so that, that's, that was the driving force and it still is, you know, it still is because I left practice. Uh, it was hard to leave. And I had a lot of crossroads at times where I thought, should I stay? Should I, go back and I stayed and I'm glad I did uh, still miss it still miss the miss the horses miss the people miss the clients and uh, but uh, still love what I do yeah why do you see research as being so critical um, it, to the success of the equine industry well I think we have to keep looking right I think we have to keep you know is there something better there, there's there's you know there's there's great treatments because every time we look for uh, maybe a, a, a new product or a new way to treat something, we find ways to help manage those horses. It doesn't cost anything, a little effort, right? And so as we do that, we just keep, um, just keep moving forward because I, I don't know, I'm, I'm never one to accept what we have for horses, for what, you know, you know, not to get gooey, but for as much as horses have done, you know, for us, right, then well, I stand around and accept what we have, you know, I think we should continue to keep looking forward, uh, keep being eager, uh, and not satisfied with what we have. Be thankful for what we had, but is there something better? Is there something better we can do? You know, and there's a lot of places, you know, we still think we can improve and, uh, but it's slow, you know, clinical research is, is, is slower than we want, but you just kind of have to jump in it, stay in it and uh, do something to move forward every day with it and we'll get there. So, yeah. Yes, speaking of growth, are there any new products on the horizon uh, from BI that listeners should keep an eye out for? Yes. <laughs> I, now I can't finish that because I can't say because of, uh, I can just always answer, because that's one thing I've loved about BI is uh, we've not kind of, uh, I knew that before I came here, they just didn't sit. They didn't sit and they weren't happy. You know, they weren't just sitting happy with what they had. It's kind of like, what else can we do? And, uh, um, you know, so yeah, I, I think 
uh, there are, you know, there are some things, some are again, slower than others. Some I would love to have had yesterday, uh, that I think there's a huge need and, uh, I push every day and I push people that are working with it every day, you know? And, uh, uh, so yeah, yeah, there, there are, I mean, I, more than one, more than one on the equine side, you know, I can't speak for other too much other uh, divisions, whether the cattle and that sort of thing, I'm not really as much involved in that. But on the equine side, yeah, you know, it's never as never as fast as we want. But I think we just stay in it and uh, keep after it. We'll get there. So I'm excited. I am. I'm excited for the future for some things for the horse and, you know, for the horse owner and, and everything. I, I think there's some good things. Thanks for tuning in. Learn more about the Ask Annie podcast by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Ask Annie Podcast. Have a suggestion for a product you'd like me to use in an upcoming episode? Email me at askanniepodcast at gmail.com or leave a comment on any of our social media pages. Find even more Ask Annie episodes anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. The Ask Annie Podcast is a production of Equine Podcast Network, an entity of Equine Network, LLC.